Good evening, everybody. I'm the Vernomatic, and welcome to this week's show. Tonight is another best of episode. Mark and I are still on vacation. We'll be back next week with some brand new programming. But tonight, we're going to go back to Christmas 2020, and we're re-airing an episode with Metal Mayhem ROC correspondent Metal Walt. Now, Metal Walt, he's a lifelong rocker, heavy metal guy. He has traveled the world recording live bands as a passion, a uh, you know bootlegging. And he's done close to a 1,000 shows. He has tons of stories, anecdotes, run-ins with bands, uh, getting into concerts with creative credentials, if you will, with air quotes. It's a fun listen. I'll be back next week with some fresh programming. That being said, let's get into it. Metal Walt. I'm the Vernomatic. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Are you ready? Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music. Interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com, or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. It's getting nice and heavy. Now, welcome our hosts, John the Vernomatic Verno and Metal Forever Mark. Ooh, we're getting heavy with holiday spirit here. Hello, everybody. I'm the Vernomatic. And welcome to another edition of Metal Mayhem ROC. As usual, all content is free. Every Thursday night, 8 p.m., new episodes drop on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, and our brand new home, podbean.com. There you'll find a webpage with our new shows, old shows. It's a nice, cool, quick and easy way of downloading past episodes. And if you can, when you visit that site, click the subscribe button and follow the show. It helps the bottom line. Tonight's episode, we're doing a fun segment where we profile fellow metalheads that take their fandom to another level. Years ago, Metal Forever Mark lived in the New York, New Jersey area, and he would go to metal shows. And you know how it is when you go to metal shows, you meet people and you become friends. And well, Mark met this guy that goes by the name of Walt and it's not his real name, but that's his metal name. So he goes by metal Walt actually. Well, years ago, metal Walt got into the hobby of recording concerts. He would go to different shows first around the tri-state area and record concerts. And this hobby turned into an obsession where he's traveled the world and he's recorded hundreds if not thousands of shows and he's here tonight to tell us about how he got involved in it and share some of the cool stories that he's experienced since he's gotten involved with this it's a cool interview and i think all of us can relate to some of these stories that walt shares because we've all been there we've all snuck backstage or gotten on a tour bus or have had chance and chance encounters with rock stars and musicians of some sort. But before we do that, you know, I was thinking about putting together a Christmas list of uh, cool Christmas songs. You know, there's many out there. Twisted Sister has done stuff. 
Rob Halford has done songs. Uh, even Dio and Lemmy, they've all done Christmas songs. And I realized that there's really only one cut you should play if you're trying to incorporate metal in Christmas. Happy holidays, everybody. This is the Vernomatic and Metal Forever, Mark. King Diamond, no presents for Christmas. Metal Mayhem, ROC.
WMROC. Continuing forward with our special edition on Common Day Metalheads, we have Metal Walt. Walt, welcome to Metal Mayhem ROC. How are you, buddy? Hey, guys. How are you? This is Metal Walt from the bowels of somewhere in the Northeast, not too far away from you guys. Uh, Metal Walt, it's Metal Forever Mark. Hey, buddy. Um, hey, we know that you need to remain anonymous. So, uh, so I got a question. My first question for you is, and, and I was talking to Romantic pre-show about like, I couldn't really recall exactly where we first met, but um, I told him the very first time I meet you, uh, you come rolling up with your uh, patch leather denim jacket, which I have no idea how long you've had that. So you have to disclose that number one. Uh, number two, inside your pocket is this big, bulky 1950 looking recorder with a mic on it and a laminate from like 1980. So uh, tell me about the jacket. Tell me about this contraption that you have. And then tell me about uh, the laminate. <laughs> so the, so the, the jacket is actually, well, it's not that old, believe it or not, I guess about 10, 12 years ago. I uh, I went to one of the metal festivals in Europe. I think it was in uh, in in uh, the Netherlands. It's uh, 2006, and I was inspired because of those European metalheads, you know, really big with their patch jackets. So I said, "Well, why can't I make one?" So the first thing I did was go out and buy a, a denim jacket, cut the sleeves off, and I said, "Where do I start?" So the beauty of eBay and all these, you know, collector metal sites all over Europe, mainly into places like Greece and Romania. You know, you, you unbelievable the markets you can find stuff. And um, I think it probably took me close to a year to collect a bucket full of patches of every and any band that I've liked, liked in the past, I kind of like. And I said, I'm just going to get this giant thing. And then when the time is right and I got enough, we put as many as we can on the jacket. That's uh, the rest is history. So uh, no more room for any more patches. So uh, as new bands come along, you know, sorry, that has to go on the next jacket. Well, Walt, that's a, um, a a throwback thing that was back in the 80s. You know, I, I went through that at the time. And as you did, you're a couple years younger than I am. And you didn't have one of those back, back in the day? One of those? I, I, no, I, I did not. This was the first of its kind. And as you know, after you put all these patches on, that thing gets heavy. It's, it's like wearing a leather jacket with chains. I never had, I had a denim jacket but I never had it all patched out. What I had was a denim jacket. And on the back of it, I had uh, silk screened in ink, the logo of rush hemispheres. Beautiful. And on the front, I had on each breast pocket, one Van Halen pin and the other one was an iron maiden pin. Cause they're, this was pre Metallica that because those were my top bands. And then, so I never had the whole barrage of, you know, Angel Witch patches and Def Leppard and Scorpions and Iron Maiden and Venom and, you know, Twisted Sister TSs. So, so you got this jacket and it was your, your way of getting recording equipment into concerts. Is that what it was? Well, no, not exactly. So I'll, as, uh, as the story goes, I'll give you a little back history and it, it's a long story, but it's a good one. So I think we've all been in those situations where we can remember being a teenager going to those shows and saying, man, I, I wish uh, I could see that all over again or hear that all over again. What did we do? We would go back the second time a band came around back in the 80s, early 90s. They would back every six months. Right. So I think um, where I lived in uh, northern New Jersey, 
we the ability to go into New York City pretty quickly with the train. So, of course, different times than it is now. Um, my parents had no problem at being 12 or 13, taking the train to the city. And a friend of mine, George, introduced me to these record stores in, in Greenwich Village. Uh, one of them was called It's Only Rock and Roll, and the other one was Revolver Records. And he said, Lance, you go there, and they have all these picture discs and everything else like there, and they have a lot of bootleg cassettes of the shows. So it was like, you know, behind, it was like this holy grail. Behind the glass up at the top, you could read the cassettes. But in order to get one, you had to ask the manager, and he had to unlock the door. And if you asked him, hey, can I hear this? Can I hear the quality? That was forbidden. It's just survival. <laughs> awesome. And I remember they were nine ninety nine a cassette. So if this was a two hour show, you had to buy two tapes at twenty bucks. So long story short, as I started collecting some of these shows that you know eventually, um, I would say, wow, I was at that show. I my other friend of mine and I said, why just why don't we just start this ourselves? What is the big deal? So the first time I recorded a show was. Uh, December of 1988, Rush at Madison Square Garden on the Hold Your Fire Tour. And I remember my dad, who was a teacher, got me one of those mini pocket recorders like the teachers used to use with the mini micro cassettes. And uh, I thought it was the greatest thing. I was up in the nosebleed seats, but I was able to hold that and, and make a recording. Still have that recording. But that was just the beginning of it. And then through learning about recording equipment and different iterations of Microphone quality through the years, things went from, you know, better to even better to best and then on to that and then on to digital is where the world we are now. Yep. All right. So the first one was Rush up at Hold Your Fire in Madison Square Garden. What kind of equipment did you record that on? Yeah, that was the mini, mini micro cassette. So to be honest, after I came home, I said, wow, this quality is really bad because it was mono and uh, very tinny sounding. So, uh, you know, I, I since then we did our research and at the time there was no internet, so you had to ask around to people, go to stores in the city and say what kind of stuff would be good for a live setting. And uh maybe go in something like gold mining, going into the uh one ads and to say seeking people that have live collections of, you know, pirated concert tapes, you know, and getting in touch with these people. So eventually moved up to some better name brands, Iowa, Sony, um, and now my current unit is an Ederol. So all really, really good quality, uh, quality equipment. So man, uh, bring back memories of that, um, that publication gold, gold mine. It was. Yeah. Gold mine. My, my experience with getting the bootlegs, cause you know, up here in Rochester, there was these, these shops that you went to. I remember you had a ask in a discreet kind of code kind of way and you couldn't say you know hey is that a rush bootleg you had to say oh can i see that import that live import is any of that true? yeah yeah that was true and even when you would go to the city it would uh some of the lps would just be you know rush live in quebec city 1984 it wouldn't tell you if it was an official release or an unofficial release, it had no no disclaimer, no legal disclaimer whatsoever on the package. So yeah, that was a different time. There was that fear of of getting caught. What if somebody was checking your mail? What if somebody caught you and intercepted your money and took your ten dollar money order from the U.S. Postal Service? You know, what if somebody called your parents and said, "What are your What is your son doing?" Right, different times. 
So I feel like that kind of adds to the mystique of it all, right? It's like, oh, you can't drink beer until you're 21. So you want to go drink a beer because <laughs> you're not 21 yet. So, well, that, that's, that's part of the thrill of the chase of being a, uh, let's say a recorder. And uh, I, because I know Mark for a long time, he knows this. The one, the one disclaimer I make, at least for me as a person, is I've only done this ever for the simple enjoyment of having a souvenir to take home. It was never about selling it, never about making copies and giving them to a million people to make money. Never did one of those. It was all to have the enjoyment and then to share these recordings with friends and people all over the world that have trading partners, trade cassettes with different people all over the States and Europe. And um, it became sort of a hobby that grew. I made friends through it and then became a little bit of, like you said, a, a little bit of an OCD obsession. But uh, who doesn't like a little challenge, right? I have two questions. One for Mark. Mark, do you have any experience with bootlegs and any of that? Because I did grow up well, on it's, it. Well, it's funny you said this just real quick. It's a quick story. But I remember one time it was uh, Cinderella was playing. And I forget who they were opening for. It might have been Judas Priest. I don't recall. But I went. I found the uh, Penfield High School AV room. And I went in there one day and they had all this cool equipment. I remember talking to the AV guy that was in charge. I was like, hey, can I borrow this? I got something at home I got to record. Tonight, I didn't tell him I was going to a concert, and somehow I did. I snuck that into the War Memorial. I recorded the Cinderella show. For some reason, I didn't get anything beyond that. Or maybe it was Winger. might have been Winger, Cinderella. Whatever. Got home that night. I was so pumped to listen to it. I get back, the ne- and it was like the audio was so crappy. Then I go to the AV room the next day thinking the guy could doctor it up or do something to it, and the guy's like, Mark, whatever this is, this is crap. And I'm like, oh man, I was so pumped. <laughs> I, but I still have it somewhere. And I, you know, you could still barely make out the song. So, but then after that, my career ended as a bootlegger. So that, that's my, that's my story. What about you, Vernon? <laughs> you, well, yeah, I used to um, go to the shops and get bootlegs. Um, Van Halen, Die Laughing, the 77s, famous. Uh, I remember getting a Rush Signals 3 album from Chicago and, yeah, it's terrible. The, the shit just sounded bad. But as time went on, it, it it got better and better. And, you know, it's it's different now because I was telling Mark before we spoke to you and when he's giving me a little uh, backstory, I'm like, yeah, I got videos, like 10 totes of like the videos that you would go to the record shows and get. It, it's the, the mystique is gone now because now everything's on YouTube and, you know, you could, uh, get a torrent file and, you know, everyone trades it, but, uh, that's great stuff. So do you still do it to this day? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, the last show I recorded was, uh, right before the pandemic, it was about a week, week before it was, uh, Eric Johnson, sort of the, uh, rock fusion guitarist at a little club called Sony Hall in Manhattan. I think it was uh, mid, mid March, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Still, uh, still go to, go to the shows despite, uh, you know, being a family guy now with kids and a, and a corporate job, you know, you make the time. Everybody's got to have a little passion and obsession, right? So, well, uh, well, I could also answer that you did have the rig for uh, Judas Priest because that was the first thing I asked you. And sure enough, you had it. So you didn't mention the laminate. And this this is the part where we got to keep keep everything discreet and anonymous. <laughs> Although you said your real name in there. So be careful, buddy. But um, tell me about this laminate that when I see it, I literally laugh because I'm like, I can't believe that freaking thing works. Like, I don't even think it says concert or metal band. It's just like the most generic photo pass you could ever find. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and, and the backstory to that is 
Um, I was with a friend of mine, Matt, um, I would say um, early 2000s, and he was, you know, one of my metal buddies, but he didn't have a lot of money. He was kind of like a factory worker guy, and he didn't. He just refused to pay for concert tickets, and he used to sneak into the shows. And uh, we were in the city to see Primus, and he said, uh, he said, hey, Metal Wolf, he says, listen, he goes, you know, don't be a freaking pussy. Just take this fake pass I'm going to give you that has a bunch of laminates from a bunch of these bands I've been backstage with. Put it around your neck and just act like you're supposed to be there when you walk in and follow me. And, of course, I was shitting a brick. And I said, I can't do that. He goes, well, what are you going to go spend $30 outside and wait in a line in the cold and then get searched and they might find your equipment? So I'll tell you, man, I almost shit my pants, but it was such an adrenaline rush to do it. And that was the beginning of it. I then said, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And uh, through the years, it was just another one of those, let's say, adrenaline rushes. It was getting in the door for free, getting a recording when you're not supposed to. You know, almost sometimes the, the, the adrenaline rush was just as good as the event itself. But um, over the years, I, I actually developed my own pass. A simple thing that I would just download a bunch of images, you know, heavy metal looking skulls and rings and put it on a word file at work and cut it to size and just as all access 2020 tour you know laminate it put a hole punch in put a lanyard around it and uh, i will tell you that this thing has probably worked oh maybe 100 150 times for me in the last 10 years I mean, it doesn't get it in all the time but that's a lot of draw. what happens when it doesn't work that, that no one it's like a fake id they don't confiscate it or you just yeah, that's uh, I, I got two good stories for that. There was one time at the Bowery Ballroom in the city uh, for a band called Army of Anyone, where I tried going in the front door. And if you've ever been to the Bowery, you got to walk down these stairs into like a, a basement, and it, there's not a lot of room. And the guy looked at me, and it was a sold out show. And he looked at me, and he laughed. He goes, "That's not legitimate." He goes, "But good try." He goes, "Go back outside." He goes, "We're going to be releasing tickets in about a half hour." Um, and I got into the show. Um, I, I would say uh, the other time was oh, a couple of years ago. I, I was Deep Purple Alice Cooper, and um, I was getting a little greedy. I was down near like the fifth row, and uh, this uh, younger girl security guard must have, you know, flashed her light, and she saw it, and she decided for whatever reason to come and look at my pass, and she swiped it from my neck, and she kind of threw me out, but I refused to leave, so I just ducked into the seats, and then after the show, I came down. And I said to her, I said, hey, I just want my pass back. And she's like, well, that was a fake pass. I go, yeah, but it was more of a souvenir. I go, I didn't use it for anything else to just look cool like I, I should have been in the front row trying to beat around the bush to get my pass back. And she wouldn't budge. But the beautiful part is I got to see the show and get thrown out. And guess what? I went home the next day. I printed the same thing back, laminated it and had it ready for the next show. Uh, I have a couple uh, metal wall uh, stories. Back in ninth grade, the Judas Priest Iron Maiden uh, tour, it was sold out. And a couple buddies just quickly, uh, they tried to get in and didn't have tickets. And they greased the uh, old ticket guy with a 20. They got in. And back on the 97 Megadeth, uh, it was 97 or 98, Megadeth was playing up here in town. And at the time, I was uh, working as a courier. And, you know, I was doing a, at the end of the day, I was doing a, a, um, a delivery right near the venue that they're playing. I'm I, all of a sudden it dawned on me. So what I did was I was going to go to the show, but I didn't have a ticket. What I did was I kept my uh, courier uniform on, grabbed the bag of ice, 
And around 6.30, I went to the back door, knocked on the door with a fake bill of landing. I said, yeah, I got delivery of ice for catering. And they opened the door and they're like, yeah, you know, you know where to go, right? I go, yeah. So I just walked and I dropped a bag of ice in like the back area and walked onto the floor. That's amazing. That's the whole spirit behind it, what you just did there. Yeah. And so the moral of the story is if you act like you're supposed to be somewhere, the person is going to judge you. Years ago, me and a buddy were at a Buffalo Bills game, and this was pre-9-11, and we were drinking all day, and we were able to get down into the press room during the press conference just by simply acting like, you know, you're supposed to be there. Actually, it's funny. Every uh, every concert promoter and every uh, venue manager is cringing right now at these stories, but I think it's fair to say as metalheads, each and every one of us have a lot of similar stories, whether we snuck in, we got backstage somewhere, we got back to the tour buses where we shouldn't be all kind of the same kind of, it's kind of the rite of passage of being a metalhead. I think it is. And it's all about the (laughs) passion for the artists in the music and why you want to be there. Actually, the one time I met Ronnie James Dio, and I probably should never admit this was it was during an Iron Maiden show where I got in with uh, the last year's tour pass because they forgot to leave me the current pass, which legitimately they said they were going to leave for me, and they legitimately somehow forgot. So I already was all amped up because I was like, I'm going to the show, and I had my old last year Iron Maiden pass, and it worked. You know, it's like sometimes those things work. But um, Vernomatic has a question for you as well, but I, I got one before he goes there. Is I remember, and Lance, it's been a while since I've been at your house, but I remember walking up to your, I guess it's your man cave or your metal attic or whatever you got, and literally, it like blew my mind, dude. I didn't, I had no idea. Like I knew you were doing this shit, but I had like no idea how much. So I mean, there must be eight or nine hundred cassette. I don't know. Are they all in cassette or are they on CD? I mean, I, I can't remember. Are they chronological or are they alphabet? You had them all organized though. And as the metalhead in me, I was like, dude, I gotta like I want to listen to some of these shows. So I mean, <laughs> how do you organize them and and how do you chronologic them and how many do you think you have at this point? Well. I would say uh, I, I'm looking at I'm in my I'm in my attic. I've since moved since that first house, Mark. And uh, but but the idea of it's the same. Um, I probably have uh, let's see here. There's probably about forty to forty five boxes of cassettes that are all my master bootleg recordings. Um, figure there's about twenty five tapes in each of those boxes, and that dates from 1987 all the way up to. I think uh, I switched over to uh, to digital about uh, 12 or 13 years ago. Um, so I, I would say there's probably between these plus the digital recordings, there's maybe eight, 900 recordings. Now, um, how I keep them archived, I, I have the master cassettes, of course, as you said, they're in chronological order. Um, being the kind of project manager that I am and the kind of work I do for a living, I have an Excel file listing out every show with pivot tables so I can quickly pick up any band and tell you how many times I've seen them, what the venue is, what the date of the show was, who was the opener, how long the show was. Um, and actually what I do is I'm, I'm an old school guy, like metal guys, right? I don't, I don't believe in the whole, yeah, it's cool to have music on your phone, but I like the hard copy. So um, what I've done over the years is start to transfer my cassette collection over to CD um, so that I have, you know, then a more of a modern upkeep version of the uh, of the recording. So and that's actually been a lot of fun during the whole pandemic. I've been working for home for six to nine months now. When I have a little downtime at work, I grab a show and I say, OK, I haven't listened to this one in a while. 
let's throw it on there and burn it on CD while I'm doing a little work. I, I have a, a technical question. You know, sometimes when musicians have old tapes, they have to be processed and baked and whatnot. Does these tapes need the same attention? I, I think it, it boils down to, um, I mean, it's in an, an attic. So, of course, in the attic, it is ventilated and it has some AC and heat. But I guess they're, if they're exposed to too much of each, it's not good, mainly heat. But I think what you notice is the actual brand of the cassette makes the difference. Like certain ones oxidize quicker than others. Um, and you'll get like very minor things. Like if you'll uh, sometimes you'll play a cassette, maybe that has that's 30 years old and it'll have a little bit of warping in it for a second or two, but nothing that has ever, at least up to this point, oxidized to the point of ruining the recording. But you're right. It is a point where you almost have to race against time and say, Hey, if you want to preserve these digitally, move them over to CD or download them on your computer, because at some point these, these cassettes are just literally going to fall apart. Yeah. I spent uh, the first part of COVID uh, digitalizing my box upon box of old college air check tapes. And I have, man, scores of me calling in local and national sports shows i got i got a tape of me with uh calling in the fan back in like 89 talking about when miami was drafting uh lewis oliver and christopher oliver yeah 25 oh louis oliver was the man i drank uh shots with him down at in a bar in uh, miami one time but but we uh before we get out of here we have a couple cool show segments we want you to participate in and we're gonna put you on the spot so you're gonna have to get that rain man juice flowing we have a segment called Mount Rushmore of Metal. Your Mount Rushmore of shows that you've captured. Top four. Okay, I would say uh, Sweden Rock Festival. Um, did that one by myself, 2012. Uh, flew all the way over to Copenhagen, Denmark, and I took a train, a three-hour train ride. Didn't speak the language, figured it out, got a hotel room. Um, that was a, a three- or four-day festival. It was in June, but it was probably 40 degrees. It was fucking cold as shit. Um, I would say, um, maybe the, uh, Arrow Rock Fest, that was another one. It was in, uh, the Netherlands. I, again, I went with other, let's say recording bootlegger friends of mine where it was a great weekend where we caught Metallica on the night before in Belgium. And then we were over in Holland and it was Roger Waters, Dio, Queensryche, Ted Nugent, Whitesnake, uh, Deep Purple, all in a matter of two days. Um, hey, Metal I mean, Law, that, who was on the first one you referenced? What bands stick out on that first festival you went uh, to? The Sweden Rock, uh, Twisted Sister, Soundgarden, Motley Crue, uh, Pentagram, uh, UFO, Michael Schenker. Hammerfall? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if Hammerfall was on there. Steel Panther was on there. M- Head Company. Merciful oh, Fate? M- Merciful Fate was, no, they weren't on that one. But it was just, literally, you got to the, the field at 12 noon and the shows went till about one in the morning and then over there you know the summertime their solstice is really 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 short right so the sun sets at 1 one thirty in the morning it's daylight till then and then it's back up again at six in the morning so there's very very there's long days which can kind of mess with your brain um i would say maybe top four i mean trying to think god there's so many um another one that really stands out and that's dear to our hearts is uh this is a great story i was on a business trip um, at the time, I worked for a Japanese consumer electronics company, and they flew me over to Japan to the headquarters. And just on the same business trip, um, on the weekend I was ready to go home, the Halford Band on the Crucible Tour just happened to be playing in Tokyo. So I got permission to stay, 
and uh, was able to uh, see the show. And I remember it was so weird. It was a Saturday afternoon, a five o'clock matinee. Children of Bodom opened. And uh, yeah, after the show, uh, Mark, you, you know this story pretty well. Um, I was told to go to a certain area of Tokyo where the Americans hang out and just happened to be in the same bar that the Halper Band, uh, you know, came to hang out in. And I think um, I had this really weird brush in with Metal Mike from time to time in New Jersey. And I think he was a little freaked out, like, why the fuck is this guy from Jersey, the same bar I am on a Saturday night in February in Tokyo? Metal Mike thought you were stalking him for a while, dude. He's like, dude, who's this guy? Metal Walt, man. He shows up everywhere. He comes all the way to Japan even. I was like, dude, it's okay. He's cool. <laughs> uh, I'm not letting you off the hook. You owe us one more. But we had Metal Mike on the show, and he told the story where, oh, it was Rock in Rio. Oh, where they thought it was a boy. They thought it was a different band, and it was the Halford band when they were in the limo. Yeah, he was telling the story like <laughs> the, 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 he felt like he was in the Beatles because everyone was, uh, um, you know, going nuts over him. And then finally – when the people found out it was them and not some boy band that was in town, he was, uh, you, you know, a little bummed out, but, um, that's so, awesome that you were there and they happened to be now, the thing is metal wall. You had met metal Mike up until that point. So it wasn't like he had never seen you yeah. before. Right. It was just kind of weird. I mean, and of course the, the embarrassing story of it is we, you can rip on me talking. Just remember one of the first times I met him in person was at bed, bath and beyond. <laughs> Classic. So what's your fourth one? Well, I'm just going to show one again. There's a million I could choose from. I'm going to go more recent. Um, I, I currently work for a, a company that's located in Antwerp, Belgium. And up until pandemic, I was traveling over there about every eight weeks. Um, I, uh, I guess it was, uh, yeah, about sometime in the autumn last year, I was able to catch, ironically, um, two bands on two different trips over a course of two months, old Jersey bands in the town that I'm working in in Belgium. One of them was Monster Magnet and the other one was Overkill. And I'll tell you, there was like one of these surreal moments knowing you're in another part of the world, yet a band you've seen a hundred times at like the Birch Hill is playing right in front of you. And, you know, I'm drinking this heavy duty, kick-ass Belgian beer. I got a fucking killer buzz on. And I'm like, man, life can't get better. And they did, they ripped on that song from the new album called Welcome to the Garden State. Welcome to the Garden State. And I'm like, man, this is heaven. I'm in Antwerp fucking loaded on this beer and overkills playing to me in the middle of Antwerp <laughs> and I got to agree with my past. See, Metal Up, that's what's cool, man. You you go truly global because of your job and profession, but you also have gone overseas just for these um, metal festivals, which I, I, I need to do it before, uh, you know, on my bucket list kind of thing. Um, Mark, um, Grass Pop was on my list this year. I turned 50, yeah, uh, and that was my one thing I wanted to give to myself, to go to Grass Pop and tie it into a work trip. Yeah. And, of course, that that, that ruined it. And Priest was going to be on that on that venue. Talk about a venue. Let's check this sense of of This year's Priest, Maiden, Aerosmith, Deep Purple were the headliners over four days. Can you imagine? Unbelievable. And then the Bakken Festival is another one that's on my radar. Um, unbelievable. That's so. Just so uh, everyone listening has a sense to uh, sticking with the Mount Rushmore theme, top four again. What are your top four metal bands if you had to choose them? And uh, Vernomatic and I struggle with this, but uh, what are yours if you had to pick four? Yeah, I mean it, it is a struggle too. I would say uh, pretty easy for me. Um, Black Sabbath, mainly mainly the Dio era as a preference, but still Black Sabbath overall. Rush um is is up there uh probably deep purple and judas priest would be my top four i mean of course maiden would be close and there'd be a million others right below it 
And uh, back to the just the bootleg thing again. You have mentioned that the only thing you've really done with those recordings is more or less just trade them and let friends borrow them kind of thing. You've never like sold them or try to monetize that. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. And I will tell you, of course, pre pre internet period of the eighties and nineties, everything was by letter. But again, using gold mine and these international newspapers, you could find people all over the world. And and, and there was a couple of us that we were we were like pen pals, swapping copies of tapes, you know, people in France and Germany and Japan and Australia and the UK. And then I mean I still have friends to this day. I, one of my best friends that I met who's also a dolphin fan. It was from Saugerties, New York, not too far from you guys. Big Dolphin fan. We met at a Kiss show at Lemoore in 1992, introduced to another friend of mine that was there. And he says, hey, this guy, he's a big Kiss fan and a big Dolphin fan. We're still lifelong friends. Hey, wait um, a second. So- was that a 92 Lemoore Kiss show? Was that the rehearsal for the Revenge Tour? Yeah, if you remember, they did like a string of East Coast club shows. As yeah. A warm-up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I saw that Kiss show up in Binghamton. I was going to school in Herkimer. But uh, one last question I have for you, and it's COVID-related. Are you going through withdrawals? Oh, boy. You you tell me. (laughs) I I think the only silver lining is what I've mentioned is the ability to have the time to dig through this collection, spin something, and actually enjoy it in the comfort of my own home. 90% of the time, I'm never up in my metal attic. It's kids and life and work and yeah you know, you're just fatigued um so that's the silver lining but yeah and, and i think a lot of us tapers and concert goers uh you know fuck that i'm not doing a drive-in theater show you know it's got to be the real deal yeah and, uh, none of this uh half-baked stuff i'm not i'm not getting on a paid paid uh zoom watching clutch or somebody it's got to be the real thing and, and i think that'll happen by the summer i think we'll start getting back into it so, Vermanic, anything else you want to ask Metal Walt before we? I could talk all night, but um, you know, uh, welcome, welcome aboard, um, Metal Walt. Officially, a Metal Forever yeah. correspondent now. Yeah, I'll have a. Uh, <laughs> we have our New York, New Jersey correspondent. Just thanks for your time. It's um, you know, we could we could go on forever. Thanks a lot, buddy. That was great. Looking forward to be on again, guys. Thanks. It was an awesome discussion. Rock on, Metal. The insight from Metal Walt our Metal Mayhem ROC correspondent from the New York, New Jersey area. Great guy. The stories are endless, and we look forward to checking in with him as 2021 approaches. Just to remind you folks, you can go to the MetalMayhemROC.com website and check out old episodes, or you can go to Podbean, our host site, and you can easily download all episodes, join and subscribe, and follow the podcast, and they'll get directly linked to your email. For Metal Forever Mark, I'm the Vernomatic, wishing you a happy and safe holiday season. And always remember, folks, keep it heavy. Talk to you next week with an end-of-the-year wrap-up show. Metal for Life. Thanks for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our websites at MetalMayhemROC.com and MetalForever.com for information on upcoming concerts, podcasts, archives, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. Catch us next time on WLFE-DB Radio. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.